Hello and welcome to the very first Points of View podcast for the 2014-15 season presented by the National Arts Centre English Theatre and coming to you from the fourth stage of Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. I'm Sean Fitzpatrick. One, two, three, and... In this Points of View, Jillian chats with Brenda Lawrence of Lawrence & Associates Offline Executive Introductions and 2014-15 Ensemble member David Warburton, offering unique perspectives on Oscar Wilde's classic tale, The Importance of Being Earnest. English Theatre's production of The Importance of Being Earnest ran in the NAC Theatre October 21st to November 8th. For more information about the NAC English Theatre production of The Importance of Being Earnest, please visit nac-cna.ca, click on English Theatre. And now, here are Jillian Cowley, Brenda Lawrence, and David Warburton. Uh, my name is Jillian Kiley. I'm the Artistic Director of English Theatre here at Canada's National Arts Centre. What a nice uh, treat to see all of you here today to see uh, the pre-show talk for the importance of being earnest. And what we do with the points of view is that we try to look at the show from two different angles. Uh, one angle is from the interior of the show and from the uh, somebody who's involved in the show. Today we have an actor from the show, David Warburton. He doesn't show up till Act 2, so he can kind of come and be with us. Uh, and we also have... A, I'm so excited. <laughs> So excited. Um, Brenda Lawrence is with us. She's a professional matchmaker. <laughs> for real. They exist for real. And, uh, and Brenda's job is, uh, today is going to be to elucidate for us uh, how uh, the world has changed in uh, courtship and matchmaking since the time of Oscar Wilde and how things are happening these days. Okay, so I'll begin my questions with David Warburton. I'll tell you a little bit about David and why you should listen to him. He's a member of the 2014-2015 ensemble, uh, which means that he's one of our core players for this year and is part of the inspiration for the season. He plays Merriman in The Importance of Being Earnest. He's previously appeared at the NAC in Shakespeare's Dog and also The Stone Angel, which you might have seen him in. He's from Stockport, Stockport, Cheshire in the UK. And this year marks David's 35th anniversary as a professional actor in over 100 productions across Canada, the UK and beyond, from Stratford Festival to Churchill, Manitoba, London, Moscow, and Broadway's 42nd Street. Welcome, David. So... I'll give you uh, Brenda's bio uh, when we uh, switch over to Brenda here. But first, I'm going to interview you a bit, uh, David. You're what we would call a seasoned performer, (laughs) spicy performer. And uh, you've walked the boards. I wonder if you have any theories about what it is that makes Oscar Wilde's The Importance of Being Earnest so, uh, so popular and a play that speaks, even though it was first performed in 1895. Why is it still relevant and popular today? There's your mic. Oh, um... I'm not very good with these things. There we go. Uh, uh, well, um, let's see. I think what's uh, what's interesting in uh, in the the script itself is that what you see are a bunch of people, none of whom particularly are actually saying what they really mean 
or um, getting confused between the uh, the restraints that they're under from you know the society at the time. Um, so the language in it and the humor in it still seems to play as well as it did 160 years ago when it was first presented. So it's it's probably one of the most produced plays, if not the most produced play in in the English theater, I would think. Um, and I've done it three times, I think, now. So, you know, three what times in 20 years. Played, um, the Reverend Charles Abel. Uh, okay, yes. <laughs> and uh, Algernon. Oh. But that was when I was much younger. <laughs> <laughs> Although there was a production in London not long ago with Nigel Havers where they were both played as much, much older, but it, it's, it flopped a little, I seem to remember. Because there is something about, that's the other thing, that's, it's the youth, you know, the youthfulness in it, uh, which I think everybody at some point fell in love and had problems negotiating a relationship. So that's something I think we all share. Right, no matter what the, what the time. Uh, the play is filled with manners and all manner of manners. You guys worked on your manners in uh, rehearsal. Can you tell us a little bit about that? We have bad manners in rehearsal. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think in this particular production, um, we, we're aware of all the social conventions and graces and etiquettes, um, even from the way in which you serve a cup of tea and where the handle should be and where the spoon should be and how everything should be ordered and whether the milk goes in first or not, to which the answer seems to be the milk goes in second. Contrary to... <laughs> see? This is what we like at the NAC to be controversial. Here we go. Now, a lot of people believe that that's because, you know, if you put hot tea in, you'll break the china. But in fact, that's not the case at all. That's, that's what we've learned, is that you should put the milk in second. See? Here we go. There's a lot of dispute. Well, you can, maybe that's something you can chat about amongst yourselves later at the intermission, of which there are two. Um, but yeah, I think we, we, we looked at all the social graces, and in this production, we don't necessarily follow the rules. <laughs> okay, you'll have to see how that works out. Um, do you see, it's all about class and the class system, of course. Do you see a similar class system in Canada? Thankfully, I think you're free of it in a, in a certain way. I mean, the, the, there's obviously an enormous difference between rich and poor. And that's obviously getting larger. If you look at the statistics, the, the, the figure in England used to be, in fact, there was a theatre company, uh, named after uh, the statistic called 784. And um, they, they did a lot of work, particularly in Scotland, and the title was taken from the fact that 7% of the population own 84% of the wealth. And that was back in the 1970s. So I think that that gap has actually gone smaller, and we hear about the 1% and, and that sort of thing. But the true class system in England is alive and well. There's no doubt about it. The way in which you speak in the first 10 minutes, someone will classify you, box you, judge you, put you in what class you belong. Um, and that's quite interesting, because that, sometimes you get that, like in Pygmalion or, or um, a place like that, where you get the kind of sh shave, shaver, the shavenism 
stuff. Um, you get the stuff where Doolittle, you know, is offered 10 pounds for Eliza. And he says, no, 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 just give me five. Because if you give me 10, that's more than I know what to do with. And it'll, it'll end up in ruin because I know my place. And, and there are some famous sketches about that too of, you know, the, the lower class, the middle class, the upper class. But of course, you can never ever achieve the royalty or, you know, the class that is the highest class because you have to be born into it. And it's simple, and we've seen lots of people go through lots of agony trying to actually buy their way into the class, but failing to do so. So, you know, there's a f few lords that have got there, but under some circuitous route. Uh, but I think, yes, it is there. Um, and and there's, there's quite a division still. Uh, but now we're seeing the middle class take it really on the chin particularly since the collapse in 2008. Um, in England, for sure, if you're young, if you're a young person, as you know, the people in this play you're about to see are, uh, the, the central characters are young people, very hard for them now to escape home because they can't afford to, to move out of the family home and you know, rent their own apartment, flat, house, um, so th there is a big squish at the minute between, you know, young people and I think to people on the other end of the scale, you know, more elderly people who are finding it really hard to make, to make ends meet with prices rising dramatically and, you know, pensions and everything else staying on a fixed rate. So, uh, you know, you never can achieve that. But um, I used to pull it when I, because uh, I lived in Manitoba for a long time and I had a big argument about uh, whether I should have a driving license, which was Canadian or English. And if I got pulled over for speeding, I would just tune up my um, English accent. <laughs> and, uh, and I got away with a few tickets that way. So, so it does have some benefit, I suppose. Thanks, thank you, David. Um, so, uh, of course, the play is about love. <clears throat> David is in Ottawa. Uh, why are you in Ottawa, David? <laughs> David actually lives in Ottawa. He's the uh, member of our ensemble uh, this year. They're from all over Canada, but this year we have a, a member of our ensemble who actually lives in Ottawa full-time. Why are you here? I think what Gillian's <laughs> hinting is that I met someone and moved to Ottawa. Um, so, uh, yes, I, I came here for reasons of the heart. And also because um, I've been in Winnipeg for 20 years. And, and I love being here because, you know, I can look over to the hills, whereas <laughs> in Winnipeg, <laughs> you have a bit of a job to do that. So I like the topography as well as the love life here. Is there anything else you love about Ottawa? Oh, I do. I love lots of things about Ottawa because um, I, um, you know, I like to get about a bit. And I, and I love the, being able to walk around. You know, I find it a great walking city. There's a great variety of things here. I often go to the, the National Gallery um, or I'll find myself walking the loop around the river and back over the bridge past the museum of whatever we're calling it these days. Um, uh, we, um, you know, and, and I like the little hidden gems that are here. There's, you know, all the way down Preston Street or up into Westboro or down through Chinatown. Um, 
and I love like the little places around the markets and the fact that you can still find real stores that aren't superstores that you can go get your cheese or you know look for a deal um, it, you know the core is very lively whereas a lot of cities I've lived in or a lot of cities I work in you know you go outside in the evening and I'm talking like Edmonton uh, Winnipeg for sure once you get to the end of the business day everybody leaves the downtown there's, there's, no, there's no people on the streets unless you're coming for a particular reason whereas I find there's a lot more life there's a lot more cosmopolitan nature and I like the French influence I like the fact we're close to Montreal we can get there and if we have to go to Toronto we can go yeah. <laughs> uh, so as an actor and as a person what is your favorite wild line or wild quip work is the curse of the drinking classes <laughs> Um, but I have another one, which I wrote down, because it's too long. Um, which is interesting from our point of view as actors. Um, man is least himself when he talks in his own person. Give him a mask, and he will tell the truth. Which you might be able to talk about later on. And I've just got one last question for sure. you. Uh, Wednesday was a particularly uh, difficult day for everybody here and a tragic day. Um, but you were with the actors. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what happened? Because we were here under lockdown in the building. Yeah. Um, sort of odd in a way because when 9-11 when happened, um, I was working at the BAM Center for Performing Arts with a group of playwrights and actors, about 25 of us in all. And, uh, and of course, some of us knew because we had the TV on, some of us didn't. Um, and, and, you know, it was devastating, uh, particularly for people who interpret the world um, through plays, through, you know, bringing characters to life and trying to live uh, a life where we represent various different people and different attitudes. And, um, and, I, and it was a bit like that for me. Uh, walking in to the building and see, because I live right over on Metcalf, pretty close here. Um, and, you know, I checked it was okay. So we were allowed to come over. Um, I mean, it hit every, everyone I know. And, and, and it, it, in one way, you can say, Oh, look at us being here very frivolous doing a piece of Oscar Wilde when what's going on, you know, literally across the corner from our building was so tragic and horrifying. And I think as at 9-11 and here, I think we all have the sense of the world has changed yet again in a way none of us wanted to. And yet at the back of our minds, we, th we sort of thought, how long before something does happen? I mean, it's a very unfortunate situation. But I think... You know, there's the other side of it where we go, okay, we have a play that um, is a comedy that allows you for, you know, a couple of hours to, to escape your life and to actually get involved with the problems of several young people who are all trying to fall in love. It's kind of breath of fresh air. But, you know, having a family of actors and the family in this building in English theatre, uh, I think helped us, as I'm sure it helped everybody, to have people you can talk to about what's going on and, 
you know, it hits some people harder than others. So there's enormous strength, I think, in a company of actors in that way. And, uh, and as someone said to me once, you know, wow, don't you have a lucky job? You know, you can actually forget who you are and go and pretend to be someone else for like two or three hours and not have to think about the rest of your life, how fortunate we are. And I think that's true. Um, but, you know, there's still, I mean, we're still, as, as creators and artists, trying to assess the impact on, um, on the way in which our, our lives have changed. And I think we'll, we'll all continue to do that. You wanted to go out there today, then, you know, and even at night when we come out of work late, there are you know, hundreds of people going up to the memorial. So, um, yeah, I think we were devastated, and then we all just went back to work. Of course, that night we canceled the show, and um, whoever was in the building, about 10 of us, went and watched it, and we had a private viewing. It was really great mm. to see them um, take it by the take it by the, the shoulders and, and uh, force some joy out of the day. Um, so we're over to Brenda Lawrence. Welcome, Brenda. Thank you. I wish I was single. <laughs> well, you never know. It could be. change. <laughs> <laughs> um, hopefully, I won't be a, in your <laughs> looking for your services for a while. But who knows? Who knows? Um, Brenda is a business graduate and entrepreneur who discovered the perfect niche for Ottawa. Uh, having found that this was a difficult city in which to connect with the perfect partner, she launched her offline executive introduction firm in 2011 and since then has been extremely active and busy bringing Ottawa people together for love. How in the world do you get into that? Actually, I'll use the mic. Um, it's a, a bit of a long story. Um, I was an interior designer as well. Um, and I've uh, set up a lot of my friends along with a lot of my business partners at the time. And for years and years, they were telling me, you should be a matchmaker. So I thought, you know what? And it, was, it is difficult in the city. It's a conservative city. Um, even though there's a lot of people out, it's not like Montreal and Toronto. Mm -hmm. People kind of tend to stay to themselves. And um, so then I thought about it. And within three weeks, I decided to come up with my website, business cards, and I was in business since since 2011 so and they're still together it's been a success with them so I thought you know what I might as well take it on a personal you know professional level so it's been it's been great I meet a lot of people but I deal also with uh, clients from Montreal and New York so I do New York twice a week twice a month and you match people to in New York yeah, to, in New to York. other New Yorkers no Ottawa. To Ottawa yeah people. yeah Ottawa people that are so um, doing a lot of business in New York so they'd rather they're they would relocate, so I'll go to New York and Target. So I do a lot of events in New York as well. So uh, well, how do you do this? How do I do? I, what, is, how, how, what is Target? What is it to Target? Okay, so I, I know a lot of people in New York. Obviously, my network has grown, um, so I go to a lot of events. And when I Target, I could Target in a restaurant. I can Target at the airport. Airports are amazing because people, <laughs> they really are because people are relaxed, and I can really walk through... And I, you know, I just sit, I position myself in the right place, and we start talking. People talk to you at an airport and open. In, in um, a bar? No, in an airport, at an airport. No, just where people sit to wait for their flights. People are waiting. Okay, so you go, that looks like somebody well, that's who... That's when I fly in or fly out. I mean, I don't hang out at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> when I fly into the airport and I walk through waiting for luggage, we talk. I talk to people. It's my job. Right. 
So if I were to target for myself, it would never happen, obviously. But because I'm targeting for clients and I want to get to know more people and interview more people, so I introduce them as a, as a matchmaker. Introduce myself as a matchmaker, and then it goes on from there. So then I get reinvited to New York and, or Ottawa or Montreal, and I do the same. So it's, when uh, you go to events, are these singles events in particular? No, 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 they're not. Curling? They're charity events. Okay. Uh, I have a lot of lawyer friends of mine that have a lot of charity events. I go to their events. Um, so the different kinds of events. And do you have people in mind? Um, so if I, let's say, I was to come to you and I was single, which I'm not. But were I to be, possible. Um, <laughs> my God, my husband would be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Stop. Um, were I to be single and I would come to you, so uh, you would say, you know, you're, you're this woman, you have this job, you have this baby, you <laughs> probably works against you, eh? You have a baby. Do you think that works against uh, you? A baby? Um, <laughs> no, my clients don't have babies. I don't, you know, they have children, but I wouldn't say babies. Okay. So this is not going to work out for me, so. <laughs> um, I tell you to come back in a few years. <laughs> So if I, so, okay, so let's say I, okay, let's not make it me. Let's say we're going to match David. Sorry, David. And David is not single also. Uh, yeah. Let's say we're going to match David. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and he is this guy and he lives here and he has this job. Do you go out looking for somebody for David? It all depends. Once I meet David, I go through consultation. We go through a full extensive profile. Uh, I want to know more about David. I need to know, so I'll spend as much time as I can with David, a, an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. He'll also fill out a Get Started uh, form on my website. Um, so I get to know him a little more. And the more I know about him, the better I can help. Mm -hmm. So I go through the detailed profile with him, and then from there I'll see if I have somebody in my database. But I don't always work with a database. I need a million men to my ladies in order to, find, to, to keep my database rolling. So you need to target search. That's the only way that, you know, it's, it's the only way to do it. Because a database is not enough people in a database. You need millions of people in your database. So uh, if I see that there's somebody in my database, then I will call David, um, tell him about her. Um, I don't, no personal information, no last names. It's a, it's a very short profile. Um, and then if I feel like it's, she's the selected one for him, then I will also send her his profile. Once it's okay, then I go, then I set up the date. Um, or if I don't have that person in my database, then I'm target search. But I have scouters out there as well um, that are professionals. They work, they're, you know, some of them are lawyers, and, and, but they're always out. They know a lot of people, so they send a lot of clients to me or, or targeted searches to me. So I meet them all myself. And so I have it, no associates with me. Is it client to client? It's you, client. Do you go client to client, or do you have a database of people and then you match your client? If you can do client to client, that's great, like a real estate thing, you know, when you're selling and buying a house, say. Yeah. <laughs> Different. Yeah. Than that. Well, it's but a personal you know. service. Yeah. yeah. So, or, or, um, uh, so client to client would be that somebody who comes to you and you're matching them with somebody who comes to you. But do you also, if somebody comes to you and you don't have an immediate match from your other clients, you would go through, like you say, your million people who you, who you know. Uh, and you well, again, if I don't have that person in my database, I will go out and target search. Right, right, I see. It could be a restaurant. I was at Highs. I met great people at the Highs. It's a great place. A lot of professionals, a lot of singles. Uh -huh. 
there are a lot of singles in the, in the city, and it, it's funny, it's so difficult for women to meet men. And I think it's because we all have resp more responsibility. You, you know, you work, you come home, you attend to your children. But when I leave and I go out happy hour, it's always a group of men, rarely a group of women that are out there. And, and again, you're not going to go and, you know, walk up to a table and say, are you single? <laughs> you know, you're, you're handsome, are you single? Yeah. So no one does that. It's, so for me, it's, it's not a problem for me to introduce myself as a matchmaker and give them my business card. And they always reach out to me. So it's, uh, it's it, you know, online dating, there's online dating as well. But again, you don't know who you're meeting. So I go through, I do a check. I do a, a criminal check. I have to. That's really important. Yeah, great. Um, so I may have to interview 25 men before, before I find two that will suit my client. So there's a lot of work involved as well. Um, you know, I don't meet 10 men and select 10 men. Right. I'm very selective with who I, with, with who I choose for my clients. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And is it must be very thrilling when, you've, when you make a match. Oh, it's, it's the greatest. It's the greatest. I mean, I still get notes from a year ago. We're still together. Um, they may not get married. I mean, that will happen probably three, four years down the road if they decide to get married. But as long as they found their partner, you know, their soulmate, their partner, um, and they say bye to me, then I'm good. <laughs> then I feel relieved. Yeah. You know, it, it's, uh, no, it's great. They always keep in touch with me, which is great. That is great. Yeah, it is. And uh, given the uh, advent of online dating, do you think people are more comfortable with having this second um, it's a very much like the importance of being earnest, but having this second persona uh, in a way to, uh, to court with. Um, I think somebody to go through. I think that it's a, a safer way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's not serial dating. You're not serial dating. So if you have the time to serial date and you know, respond to all the emails back and forth and having to meet all these people, there's a lot of disappointment. Mm -hmm. For some people, it works. But this is kind of... People that are busy don't have time to be going on five, six dates a week. And not knowing who they're meeting, which is the important thing. Um, you know, I, I have clients that were online and some that were never online because they can't show their photos online. But the ones that were online, uh, I mean, their photos that they see, they have a rapport. But then when they meet them, it's a different person. It was a photo from 20 years ago. So, or it was the brother. Or they use that as an excuse, you know? So it's just, you don't know who you're meeting. So this way I have current photos. I've met him or her. Um, I have her background, his background. I know he's not married. I know he's single, which there's a lot of married people on Match.com as well. Um, so, so it's a safer route. Definitely yeah. a, a safer route. And, and you don't waste your time. Yeah, and I guess that that's part of the executive um, element yeah. of it is that that's people right. who are... Um, <laughs> this is something that needs to happen, so let's get that done. And you build a rapport not, with your clients. Yeah. You know what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Versus I can write a whole bio about myself online, and it sounds, I can attract, you know, so many people, but I'm, it's not really me. Right. You know, I'm hidden behind those doors. So it's a safer route for you, women. Do you ever come, and is it mostly women who are your clients? I have a lot, more women than men. Okay. Men are... Um, easy to target, okay. but they're not really, uh, there's very few percentage, a small percentage that will call me and say, I need help. Right. You know, because men have an ego. Uh, yeah, they do people, have an ego. Are people embarrassed? To, uh, and yeah. I think 
to come up to a woman saying, you know, can you find me a woman, is, is a difficult thing for them to say. And they meet a lot of women. Men are always out. It's easy to meet a woman, but not necessarily the right woman. So, yeah, they, they do need coaching as well. I do a lot of coaching oh, about with men. how to be on the date? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Really? Yeah, I do a lot and of coaching. What do you say Prior to, to the date, because I find that men, well, first of all, don't let the woman pay the bill or half the bill. That's okay. a no no. <laughs> Never do that. Because <laughs> um, it's happened a few times. And then I started, you know, this is something I always rephrase do you, you have to take care of the bill. Um, secondly, is they talk about their ex wives and their bad experiences or their ex partner <laughs> on their first date. So it goes nowhere after that. So there's a lot of coaching involved. Or, you know, people have been married for so long, they don't know what to talk about. So I always tell them, be humorous, talk about yourselves, what you enjoy in life, and move forward, not backwards. And do you think, um, you know, I'm uh, back to myself. I'm a woman <laughs> of a certain age, but not that much of an age. I'm 44. And I think, um, you know... I think if uh, my husband and I split up, which we're not going to, so... Not going to happen. So, no. No. Uh, but if we were to, I'd th I think, oh, my God, I couldn't possibly... I, cu I couldn't go back to dating again. I, I, oh, I would perish if I had to go back to dating again. Mm -hmm. But do you think that for an older uh, person that it's... Uh, that, we sh that, it's, that, it, that there's hope out there? Oh, of course, definitely. My, uh, my age range is 32 medical doctors, actually, uh, that just graduated. Um, but again, they're very introverted. Yeah. You know, they don't, and they've studied all their lives, and they just don't want to be online. First of all, they don't want patients to see them. Um, so the, it starts at 32 to uh, 72, 72. Nice. So I have a range, but my, the 30s is very little. I would say more mid-40s to late-60s. Okay. So there's hope, of course, there's hope for everybody. But again, I don't, I meet a lot of clients or potential clients, I don't take them all. It all depends on their backgrounds, it depends on what they're looking for. Some of it is not reality, it's just not reality. So I just, I won't help somebody that's looking for a fake. I'm looking, you know, I, yeah, yeah. so I'm very selective with who I choose because if I can't help you, I'd rather not have you as right. a client. Because I deal with you every day. You have my cell number. It's a one-on-one -on -one personal service. So they don't, you know, they don't call my answering machine or they don't call my assistant. I'm myself from A to Z. I interview. I select the dates. I deal with my clients right. from A to Z. So it's important to, to have a good rapport with your clients. And sometimes you meet somebody and you think, I couldn't possibly put you onto another human being. Never. Because you're such a nightmare of a person. <laughs> Never. To Too much drama. Yeah, yeah a lot of yeah. drama. Yeah. yeah. And how do you tell them that actually not only can they not get a date, they can't even get somebody to help them arrange a date? Uh, well, I, I have to be nice about it. Um, you know, I say different. It depends on the person. Um, you know, I don't have anybody that I, that I would be able to select for you. Or maybe online dating is best for you to have a variety of people you can meet. That makes sense. Okay. You know, I... Uh, can you tell me what your feelings are of marriage right now in, this, uh, in our current society? Uh, marriage is not as, I don't think, as...
popular as it used to be. With my clients, I'm dealing. With, I'm talking about my clients. They're just looking for that soulmate. They're looking for companionship. They're looking for somebody they can grow grow with. Marriage can is secondary. It's not. I never get a woman saying, "I want to get married." Can you find me a husband? You know, because I think that's step five. First is meet the right person, and then go on from there. But I have a lot of people that, ha- that are living together, but they're not married. That's out of my hands. That's like future. Yeah. You set up the first. So date. I set up the first, yeah, exactly, until they meet that special person, and then from there on, it's, it's, they're on their own. It's a good service you provide. Thank you, everybody. Uh, it was really great to see you all here today, and I hope and I know you're going to enjoy the show. Thanks. Thank you. That's all for this edition of the Points of View podcast. Send us your comments and questions. We look forward to hearing from you. Don't forget you can subscribe to this and other NAC podcasts by visiting nac-cna.ca slash podcasts. There you'll find our past episodes, subscription links, and instructions on how to subscribe. You can also easily find us as a free subscription in the podcast section of the iTunes Music Store. Search on Points of View. If you'd like to stay in touch with news and updates from the NAC English Theatre, sign up for the free e-bulletin by visiting nac-cna.ca slash email alerts. You can also find us on Facebook. Become a fan of the NAC English Theatre on Facebook by entering NAC English Theatre into the search bar. Until next time, this is John Fitzpatrick saying goodbye from Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa.